Okay, uh, so go to the ones here. Yeah, so the days and weeks leading up to Easter. I, I, what is it? After Christmas is done, what happens in grocery stores? It becomes like a Valentine's Day, right? And then after Valentine's Day, what's next? Usually St. Patrick's, right? St. Patrick's or something. I'm missing something. Oh, Valentine's Day. Oh, Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's. And then all of a sudden it's Easter in the stores. So it was Easter, what, how, how long ago? I don't know how long ago it was. But the, but, the, the, but the thing for me that just knocked me over this week, I was watching, uh, I don't know, it was a basketball game or whatever, and there was a TV commercial, and they were talking about, it was all one of these excited voices, get yourself ready for Easter and do this. And the next thing was, buy a new living, living room suite. And I was like, and I actually said out loud, really? That's how we get ready for Easter? But it, you realize how Easter, uh, in the days and weeks leading up to Easter, uh, it's just there's an excitement about new and fresh, but it usually means new and fresh furniture, new and fresh food, new and fresh whatever. And so, and if you're like me in the days and weeks leading up to Easter, that, that influenced you, but at the same time you're thinking, okay, I know it's Easter, and I know I'm a follower of Jesus, and I know something should feel different around Easter, but it doesn't always feel different, but you, you, know, you, you know there's something, a unique holiday, it's a powerful holiday of the resurrection of Jesus. So I thought, uh, so I'm doing a series called Follow Jesus, and I'll talk about what, what I'm leading up to Easter in a second. Following Jesus, there's no one like him. And then there's no one like him is like a key phrase, because Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, is obsessed with pointing that out to, to us. Mostly, there's no one like this guy. He was writing to people, he was writing to his fellow Jews, mostly, that was his audience, but he wanted them to see there's no one like Jesus. He is the Messiah, there's no one like him. Um... So uh, we're doing the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going out of order because I'm actually today, next Sunday, which is Palm Sunday, and the following Sunday is Easter. So today we're going to talk about the days and weeks leading up to Easter in Jesus' life, all right? So uh, Jesus travels. So we're going to start with, do a real quick overview of chapter 19 all the way to 28. But it's mainly what was going on in the days and weeks as Jesus was walking into his death and resurrection. Um, what was going on, and what do we make of that? What do we do with that? All right, so he travels to Jerusalem in the days and weeks leading up to his crucifixion and resurrection. All right, next slide. Just going to reintroduce you uh, to these people, the Pharisees, characters in, the, in all the Gospels, always, always, always uh, trying to catch Jesus and trying to trick him, trap him, trying to do whatever they could to make him look bad. Because they were all into religious piety and behavior, but Jesus even said their hearts were like stones. So they're always present. And I said with a lot of the texts we've been reading, when Jesus preaches, when he talks to people, they're often in the audience. And so the Gospels have this innate tension. I mean, they, they didn't kill him because he was being too nice to people. They killed him because he was messing up their way of life and their power and their understanding of religiosity. Now, next slide. These, these are the disciples. All right, this is a new group. Not a new group, but it's a new picture. All right, this is from the TV show The Chosen. Uh, this is actually the Jesus character. But I just want to put the disciples up here because, of course, they're, they're always present in a lot of Jesus' conversations. And today, in the days and weeks that lead up to Easter, uh, we're going to talk about them a little bit more than we're going to talk about these guys. I mean, we're they're, they're present in some of the scenes, but and the, with both of these, we tend to think, 
I mean, we never, we never put ourselves in the Pharisee's role. But again, I put this picture up for just in jest of myself, but also the realization we can all be that way. We can all be, we can all buy into this image management spirituality. But then with the disciples, there's a lot of times where they just, they didn't get Jesus at all. It was just like, come on, you guys, think. And we tend to think, I tend to think at least, there's times I remember early on in my life where I thought, oh, those stupid disciples, they didn't get it. But then I thought, I don't have a picture of myself, but we can be just like that. Sometimes we kind of think, well, I'm not like them, and, I, and I'm better than disciples, but it's like, no, you're, you're probably either one of those two groups. You're part of the ones who are condemning Jesus, or the ones who really have good hearts to follow Jesus, but there's still times where you're like, you don't get it. And you need a new kind of experience with Jesus. Jesus does something that kind of messes up your paradigm. So we're going to look. And in the days and weeks leading up to Easter, Jesus did that a few times to the disciples. They were, they were unsettled with some things that happened. So, but they were unsettled. But in their unsettledness, they experienced something new about Jesus. And maybe it led them to a bigger understanding of what was going to happen with his death and resurrection. Which, which prior to it happening... They were almost, uh, they, were, they were aware, but they were unaware because Jesus talked about it. And we're going to talk about that there. There's three times in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus tells them explicitly, I'm going to be crucified in so many words, all right? Three times. So when we look at those three times, these are all in the latter parts of Matthew. These are all in the days and weeks leading up to his resurrection. Three times he tells them that, and there's three different kind of responses the disciples make. And we'll look at that and kind of throw it make it flow through our own hearts and think about that, all right? First one is this, all right? This is in uh, Matthew 16. And again, this is, we don't know exactly when, but it was in the weeks prior to him actually heading to Jerusalem where Passover was going to happen, and that's where he's going to be arrested, crucified, r- resurrected, all right? From then on, Jesus began to tell the disciples plainly, right? they tell them plainly, they still didn't get it. Again, we can be the same way, hard-headed plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He'd be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. So Jesus was telling this group of disciples, plainly, this is going to happen to me. All right? This particular situation, the response was Peter and Peter says to Jesus, no way. This is not going to happen to you. This will never happen to you. I mean, it's a pushback. No way. Heaven forbid, Lord. And this is where Jesus, if you're familiar with some of the Bible, you might remember this is where Jesus says to, say, to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. And it wasn't, he, was, he wasn't calling Peter Satan, but he was saying the words Peter were using were basically kind of a... Uh, a temptation to, to make things end differently. But Peter's like, no, this is not going to happen to you. This, this is not going to happen to you. Over, you know, almost like you can almost hear Peter say, over my dead body. And, da, da, da. and Jesus says, no, no. Get behind me. Don't, that, that's. And then he says to the disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross and you follow me. All right, if any of you... And, so he says, this is what's going to happen, and Peter says, no way. And you can imagine it was probably kind of this raucous kind of refusal, and Jesus says, no, get behind me, Satan. If any of you, any of them, 
us, you, if any of us want to be his disciples, Jesus said, we have to be able to take up our cross, follow him, and then he says this, if you want to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you let go of your life for the sake of Jesus, you're going to find a kind of life you've never understood and you've never imagined. So he was kind of challenging them, if you're going to hang on to your life, hang on to your your plans for the future, your financial security. If you're going to hang on to those things, and I'm doing this by clutching, if you're going to hang on, you're going to lose it. But if you let go and trust Jesus, you're going to find something about your life and your soul that will amaze you. So that was the first time Jesus talked about it. The disciples, just like us, don't always get it, and we need to be reminded because we don't, we don't want to talk about death and resurrection. We don't want to talk about death. We want, you know, the good stuff. Jesus says, no, sometimes you just got to let go of your expectations of what God's going to do in your life. You have expectations. We all have expectations that we assume God's going to do. Fulfill the plans that I have or you have for your life. And Jesus says, and and then we kind of push back and forth with Jesus like Peter did. And then Jesus says, you know, if you want to find your life, you got to hold it loosely. Hold it loosely. All right. So that was the first time in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus talked about his own death. Now, let me stop here for a second before we go to the second one. So I have this map up here. Uh, just so you kind of... Th- so most of Jesus' ministry is up in the northern part of Israel. It's called the Galilee region. I'm just think of it like a province or a state or whatever. Uh, Nazareth is up here. Uh, so it's kind of called the Galilee region. Most of his early... Most of the Gospels take place in a lot of these cities up here. All right? But he said... We're going to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's down here in what's called the Judea region. All right. Again, think states or provinces. The middle of Samaria, they always walked around it because that was like the unclean people, half-breeds, religious kind of weirdness. All right. So he told them that it's necessary for them to go to Jerusalem from here to there. All right. So I'm just, in the days and weeks, this was kind of his journey. He was heading somewhere where he knew what was going to happen to him, and he's trying to tell the disciples this. All right. So that was the first time. So the next one, Matthew 17. Go to the next slide. After they gathered again in Galilee. So they're still in Galilee. They haven't left yet on this final kind of march to his own death and resurrection. After they gathered again in Galilee, Jesus told them, Son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but on the third day he'll be raised from the dead. So again, he's telling his friends, the disciples, I'm going to be betrayed in the hands of my enemies. I'm going to be killed on the third day. He's going to be raised from the day. He's talking about himself, of course. Now, this time, there's a different reaction from the disciples. You know, the first time was Peter kind of said, no, never. It's not going to happen to you. This time, all we read in the text is, and the disciples were filled with grief. It says they were filled with grief. They were, they, there was... They were unsettled. They were filled with grief. That's all we know from this passage. But maybe something starts to click like, oh, the path of following Jesus leads to some really uh, painful things. And they don't don't understand the rising from the dead. They still, they still, they weren't dumb people, but it was like a whole new idea for them. And they, they were still thinking, 
Jesus came to kick the Romans out of occupying their country, and he was going to establish a kingdom, and he was going to be the king, and they were going to be the, you know, first line of uh, his advisors kind of thing. So they still didn't get it, but now they're filled with grief, right? So then what, they, what happens is the scripture tells us that Jesus actually, they start heading down this way. They kind of go around this. They go around uh, Samaria. They go from Galilee to Judah. Again, if you read most of the gospels, you read them, it's, things are either happening here or here, all right? So they come down. Jericho is down here, and there's some, a couple of events take place in Jericho. Jesus uh, heals some people. I mean, oh, on the whole way down, Jesus isn't like, he tells them this news, and they don't have this somber trip down to Jerusalem. He's still healing people. He's still doing miraculous things on the way down there. Um, so they're on their way down. Uh, there's times on the way down where, again, just, I'm just saying again how the disciples still don't get Jesus and they are in need of a new experience and a new understanding of Jesus because on the way down there's a time where they're on their way down I think, I think this might be like in Jericho or somewhere they're down here and it says parents brought their children to Jesus and asked them to put their hand, his hands on them and bless them the disciples they still didn't get Jesus they rebuked the parents hey get your kids out of here he's too busy for that All right. but again we can be that way let's put Let's put ourselves in that picture. They, were un, they thought he was more important. They were more important than dealing with kids. And Jesus rebuked his disciples, Scripture tells us, and it says, bring the kids, bring the children to me. And it says he put his hands on them and he blessed them. Also on the way down, there's a story where Jesus uh, confronted with a rich young man who says, uh, I want to follow you. I obey all the commandments. What else do I have to do? And Jesus is like, well, why don't you sell all your everything you have and give it to the poor and then follow me? And that's not a, a definitive statement for everybody, but for this guy whose idolatry was his money, Jesus said, sell it, give it to the poor. And so the man went away sad because he had a lot of money. And then Jesus told the disciples, uh, it's hard for rich people to get to heaven because they trust their money. And the disciples say to Jesus, who can be saved then? I mean, he was constantly kind of blowing up their paradigm of what he was all about. So he wants to bless the kids. He challenges somebody about their idolatry of money, and and the disciples are still kind of reeling, and they're still trying to understand it, but they're they're still following him, just like you and I do. Jesus does things that might rock our understanding of him, but we still follow but there's always new experiences we have that kind of, you know, rattle our mental cage, so to speak. So then the last time where Jesus talks about um, his death this is in Matthew chapter 20. And now it says as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and you might, like, I remember when I first read this one, going up. He's down here. Well, the reason it says going up in Scripture is because Jerusalem was on a hill. Like, a, it's kind of on a... Uh, mountain kind of hill. So that's why they'll often talk about going up to Jerusalem. Even though they're down here, when they go to Jerusalem, they have to go up. All right? So it's not up like map, map north up. It's up literally going up into Jerusalem because Jerusalem's on a, on a mountain, so, so to speak. So as he was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples and beside him privately told them what was going to happen to him. All right? So in the last... X number of weeks. He's already told them twice. 
but he's telling them again. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the, to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day, he'll be raised from the dead. So, I don't, you know, we don't know the context, but it said he pulled them aside. So he probably was, you know, maybe in a grove of trees and they were sitting on rocks or whatever. And he had already told them twice. The first time Peter kind of gets angry, said, no, no, we're not, no way, that's not going to happen to you. Second time, they're all really grieved and sad because something's clicking. So this time you would think maybe the light bulb's on a little more. You know, oh, we know, now we so, but here's what happens next. So we just, this is the third time. They're on their way to Jerusalem. This is what happens next. Then the mother of James and John came to Jesus with her, with her sons, and she, she knelt respectfully to ask for a favor. What's your request, Jesus said. She replied, so in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in the places of honor next to you, one on your right hand and one on your left. In other Gospels, it says James and John actually made the request themselves. This one says their mom did, so maybe they were all together, or maybe they put their mom up to it, right? But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? So here he just told about his upcoming death and resurrection, and mom, probably at their motivation is, we're still going to jockey for power and position. And it's just kind of like, you have to think Jesus was kind of like, like pulling his hair out, whatever hair, I don't know how that works. But, okay, they still don't get it. So, okay, when you come in your kingdom, we want right hand, left hand. We want, we want to have the power spots. They're still misunderstanding the mission of Jesus. They still need a new encounter with him. They still need things to be blown up and rebuilt so they understand Jesus. Because they're still thinking his mission in their lives is to give them prominence and power and help them flourish financially and socially. There's not much different today with a lot of people who think that Jesus' role in their life is to help them have power and prominence and social success. They, the disciples thought that, so it's understandable. Still wrong if we think that. And Jesus is kind of blown. So, and then what's interesting too, it says when the other disciples heard what James and John had asked for, they were indignant. This is in chapter 20. They were really ticked off. Doesn't tell us why, but most commentators you read think that what, why they were mad was they didn't think about it first. Oh, shoot, James and John already asked for seats one and two. They weren't mad because James and John were immature. They were mad because they still were jockeying for powers of, positions of power, social prominence, and financial security. So they still don't get it. Just like you and I, at least I'll speak for myself, I still don't get it. There's times in the Hudson Taylor book, he says, I still don't get it. I still don't get what it means to follow Jesus. But we still follow, but we're always growing and learning. So then Jesus says they were indignant and then Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in the world lorded over their people. In other words, people have power. He's kind of, now he's pointing to them. 
They love power. They love lording it over people. They love reminding people we're teachers of the law. We're, we're important. We're important. We're important. They love, where is it? They lord it over the people, and the officials love to flaunt their authority over those under them. But then Jesus says this, but among you it's going to be different. Not so with you. In the world, even in the religious world, people love positions of power. They love to flaunt their authority and their titles. Jesus is not so with you. This, this is a whole, I'm turning things upside down. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. So he's still on there in the days and weeks. Now it's becoming just a few weeks heading toward Jerusalem. They're almost there, and things are going to start rolling really fast once they get there, heading to his arrest and death. But he's still teaching them. They're still having new experiences with Jesus where they, they have new what you might call aha moments. Oh, okay, now. But it comes because they still don't understand, Jesus, we want power, we want influence. Peter's like, no, it's not going to happen to us. I mean, they're sad too, but then they're like, we'd rather not be sad. We still want to think about power, influence. We want to think about our security. And Jesus is like, no, no, it's not, that's not how it's going to work with you. If you want to be a leader, and again, opposition to these people. If you want to be a leader, if you want to be, have prominence in the God's kingdom, you, you serve. And he says you're a slave to other people. You serve other people. He's turning things upside down all the time. Jesus loved doing that. He's turning things upside down continually, continually. And the disciples who love Jesus, they've been with him almost three years now, they love him. Just like you and I love Jesus, we follow him, but there's still things happen in our lives that are like, what do I do with this? Jesus isn't, maybe you haven't said it this way, but I know you've thought it this way. Jesus isn't cooperating with my agenda. Right? That's what the disciples wanted. We have our agenda, Jesus, and your, your job is to help us fulfill that agenda. We want prominent spots. And no, you're not going to have this negative stuff happen, Peter said. So we love it when we think we want Jesus. His agenda is to match our agenda. And when he doesn't, we get a little rattled. But the disciples, as they go head into Jerusalem for what's going to really rattle them, and then of course the resurrection, Easter, is going to rattle them in an incredibly powerful way. But they're still trying to understand Jesus, just like you and I are. So here's, here's, my, here's my prayer, and maybe you can pray for yourself in the next few weeks. Here's my next slide. I'm going to pray that we all experience Jesus in, new, in a new way over the next few weeks. And maybe you're like, I'm already in the midst of that. And the experience him in a new way will always, if you're following him, it always is going to lead to life inside of you and depth of joy and peace but it might be a little disturbing. It might be upside down of what your expectations are. I don't want that. You don't want that. The disciples didn't want that. But Jesus said, that's going to happen. Because until I can get fully, until I can fully capture your heart with my agenda, Jesus says, and my agenda is to, is to put life into you, but I've got to take out some of these false expectations and hopes of what you want God to do in your life. 
because you think he's supposed to match your agenda. So they're always, so my prayer is going to be for, maybe there's a new way that you, you, and maybe you experience him just in a new and a fresh way that's just like heartwarming to you and necessary right now in your life. I'm not saying I'm praying for all stuff has this, for all of us to have disturbing experiences with Jesus. But I'm praying that we will all experience something about Jesus in a new, in a more truthful way about Jesus. It might require our hearts being flipped around or upside down. But his agenda for all of us is always a greater fullness of, of joy, a greater fullness of peace, contentment, courage, generosity, mercy. That's what he wants for us. Because it's what he's all about. So again, and in the light of all the things that were happening here and the disciples having all these questions and Jesus kind of pushing back, go to the next slide. The message still is this. You've got to follow Jesus. You, you, they kept following. At times they even said, Jesus, where else do we go? You're the only one who has the words of life that we understand. And that may be you. There's times where you're like... Following Jesus might be hard, and following Jesus will often be confusing, but you still follow. Still follow. And we follow, and we learn, and we grow, and he's, he does things, he changes things, and all of a sudden we realize there's something in our hearts. We have a trust for God that we've never had before. We have a, a spirit of generosity. We have a spirit of peace and joy we've never had before because we just keep following and there's going to be bumps along the way. There's going to be times where he pulls us aside and tells us things, and we're like, I don't get what he's saying. But we trust him because he's good. We trust him because he always speaks the truth. And we trust him because he followed what God wanted him to do in obedience. Scripture in Philippians 2 says he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So we follow this guy who understood that death is the step, stepping point to life. His death... Is a stepping point to life. And even what he said to the disciples, if you want to find your life, you've got to give it up. You've got to let go. And then if you live this way, you'll find the Spirit of God in your life in ways you've never imagined or thought you could. So we take communion every week, really uh, affirming and celebrating what Jesus, his days and weeks leading up to Easter. And then, of course, Easter doesn't stop with just the dead man in a tomb. It ends with the resurrection. So when we take this, the night he was betrayed, which was uh, in the week prior to Easter. So next Sunday we talk about Palm Sunday. And then the following Sunday we kind of lead into and talk about Easter. But the night before, a couple nights before he was arrested, or the night before, the night he was arrested, he said, this is my body, this is my blood. Eat this, drink this. Every time you do that, you proclaim me, you proclaim my way. And his way is if you want to find yourself, you gotta lose it. If you want to be a leader, you gotta be a servant. And you can do that because you have the spirit of Jesus in you, because scripture says after his resurrection, his spirit then, for those of us who are open, become in us. So he says, Eat this and remember, eat this and proclaim to the world uh, forgiveness of sins, and proclaim kind of a this is who Jesus really is because there's nobody like him, all right? So, Aaron, come on up and lead us in a few more songs. And um, as you take today, uh, I don't think the, the days and weeks up to, lead up to Easter are supposed to be somber. Um, 
you know, you've, we've all, maybe in, maybe in your past, we've all been to Good Friday services that, uh, I, I understand seriousness, but sometimes they're so somber, it's like you're supposed to feel really bad and dark. Easter's already happened. We're not supposed to feel, we need to be reflective, but when we take, we, we take remembering his promise of, okay, we can, we can find our lives because we, we've, we chose to follow him, we live, but we follow him. So here's the Exodus. Aaron's going to lead us in another song or two. I'm not sure. And then uh, come on up. We don't dismiss our rows. Just come in. We still have the self-contained wafer and cup, and then we have the wafers that you just dip into the cup. Um, so Jesus, we're grateful. Um, we're grateful that <laughs> we, we follow you, Jesus, and we will keep following you. And we're grateful that you love us even though we miss things. We don't understand things. But you love us. You teach us. Uh, you put yourself inside of us. And we become alive because of that. And we love you. And we will uh, we remember what you did and that you rose from the dead. But you, we also remember that you said your spirit, the spirit of resurrection, is inside of each one of us. So as we take this uh, would you help us remember that the same spirit that rose you from the dead is inside of us and it can bring life to our spirits in ways we've never, ever imagined. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.